So we are in John chapter 12, and we're going to read in verse 42. John 12:42. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing Him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. So this is an interesting portion. You know, we had finished up last week, and it talked about how, how there were people that were hearing the words of Jesus and yet not responded to, responding to them, it was a willful disobedience, a willful disregard for the things that Jesus was saying. And Jesus spoke about this, and He says that this had even been prophesied. And because of the willful disregard for what Jesus was saying, the result of that was that their eyes, their hearts became more closed. Remember, we talked about this. If there's not a responding to the Word of Jesus our hearts become more closed. So it's not something that we can just keep putting off. It's something that we have to begin to respond to. Now it says in verse 42, Many even of the rulers believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees they were not confessing Him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. So it says many even of the rulers. So rulers were synagogue leaders, and rulers could well mean people on the Sanhedrin. And we know that that's the case. We know that there was Joseph of Arimathea. We know that there, was, there, there, was, uh, um, there were others that had come to Jesus. Nicodemus, for example, had come to Jesus. Jesus was, uh, Nicodemus was on the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of 70 leaders plus the high priest constituted uh, the Sanhedrin, this leadership body which had been established since the time of Moses. Uh, Moses had, had established that. And so the, the, this was this body of rulers. And it's as many of them were believing on Jesus, but they were afraid to confess of Him for fear that they'd be put out of the synagogue. Now, this is very different than being put out of, say, Westview Baptist Church or Cross Point Church today. Very different than that. Because if you are, if you are put out of a particular church, you can just go to, across the street and go to another church. I mean, the church is so diverse and, and, and so broad now. In our culture, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference in the sense of uh, uh, having to, to lose fellowship in a particular body of Christ. Now, there might be a deeper heart issue that has to be dealt with. But as far as not having any relationships with the body of Christ, this, was, this is very different than, than what they were going through in that day. If you were put out of the synagogue, that cut off all social interaction with your fellow Jews. So there was no more community involvement. And if you were a Jew living in Israel and, and particularly in the Jerusalem area and you had no interaction anymore with fellow Jews because you had been put out of the synagogue, this was a big deal. They weren't to sell things to you. They were, you weren't supposed to be able to do business with them. And your family wasn't able to have fellowship with them. No more having friends. It, within the synagogue, the only people you could have friends with were other people who were in rebellion, other, other people who were in excommunication from the synagogue. So this is much bigger of a deal than it is in our culture. So it says they, didn't, they believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they weren't confessing Him for fear that they'd be put out of the synagogue. Because remember, the Pharisees said that anybody who's confessing the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, concerning the Messiah, was to be cut off. And so it was a fearful thing. 
So one might think just by reading this particular sentence that okay, there's some understanding. There is a time when people might be, there might, just might be too much peer pressure to have to believe. Until we read the second half of this statement in verse 48. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Whoa. I mean, this is really a strong word. They loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. So that they were afraid to confess Jesus openly for fear that they'd be put out of the synagogue. But even in the midst of that, it seems like the Word of God has very little patience for them. He says, because they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. This is one of the areas, as we read the Scriptures, where I think most of us should go, uh-oh, gulp. They love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought it best to talk about Jesus, but you refrain from talking about Jesus because of the people around you, because of your peers, because of your friends, because of people at work, that you became bashful of speaking up about Jesus? This has happened to me. In fact, the, the times in my life that I regret most are not the times that I've spoken about Jesus. Even, even in the times where my speaking about Jesus has caused controversy. As I reflect back on that, those, that that's like a badge of honor for me. The, the times that I'm most ashamed of, once I was sitting, I was invited out uh, uh, to, to a university to speak, and, and uh, I'm not even sure that I remember which university it was. But I was invited out to speak and I was invited out to dinner. Typical thing, they invite you out to speak and the night before you speak, you get in for dinner and, and, and you get in in time for dinner or the night that you speak, you go out to dinner with the faculty. And there were two or three faculty members there. And, and uh, uh, one started saying, oh, you know, these Christians, uh, they're just, just so bothersome to people. And the other one started to concur with him. And I really should have spoken up and said, you know, this is who you're having dinner with tonight. You know, have I really been a bother to you? I could have said something, but I said nothing. Now, I don't remember all the times that I've talked to people about Jesus. It's just, I just don't remember. I mean, sometimes people will say, you know, you shared the Lord with me. I'm like, I don't even remember. But that's okay. But this instance, where I shied away from speaking up, this I clearly remember, to my shame. It says, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. It was for their approval that I didn't speak up. For the approval of the people who didn't even care for me. You see how silly it is. The Word of God seems to have no patience. And remember, what they were going through was much bigger deal than what I was going through. The most it could have done for me was to you know, make a little bit of alienation across the table at dinner. Big deal. I mean, this happens to me all the time, right? I mean, it happens in families all the time. You sit down to have a meal together, and all of a sudden it's like, this wasn't very delightful at all. <laughs> so so, so th this is part of life. But for these people, this was to be put out of the synagogue. This is where we need to pray, Lord, give me boldness. Lord, let me speak up. Give me boldness. 
Let me speak about the things of you. You bow your head in prayer at a, at a, at a dinner where, or a lunch where you're sitting with people and you just take a few moments to bow your head in prayer. Immediately, they're going to know. And that's okay. Because now they're going to change their conversation or at least they should or sometimes they particularly say things to be in your face with it. But it's okay. Now you've marked yourself. You know, if you don't speak up, They'll never hold you accountable. Washman Nee puts it this way. He says, if you don't speak up and tell people that you're a believer, they'll never really hold you accountable. But once you've said that you're a believer, they will hold you accountable for your actions. And that's good. We ought to be held accountable. Now let's read on in verse 44 of John chapter 12. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me, sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me does not, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but my Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and to what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So here Jesus is going on and sharing, and this is the utter rejection of Jesus. If you feel that you've been rejected because of the Lord, you are in very good company. The same thing happened to Jesus. And he says, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He says, you worship God, he's telling the Jews. He says, if you've received me, you receive him. If you received Jesus, you're receiving God the Father. This is what opens it up. I tell people, if you want to be my friend, if you want to be my friend, do something good to one of my children. That will make you my friend. If you do something good to me, well, that's okay. But if you really want to be my friend, be good to my children. That's what happens with a parent. If you are good to their children, the parents will really like you. If you want to get parents against you, do something nasty to their children. It's the same thing with God. If you want God the Father to really look down with favor upon you, be good to Jesus Christ. Honor Him. Jesus said, if you've received Me, you've received the One who sent Me. In verse 45, He who sees Me sees the One who, sees the one who sent Me. When we look at Jesus, this is as if we are looking at the Father. Uh, um, one of Jesus' disciples said, he said, Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, I've been with you so long and you don't recognize me? When you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at the Father. He says, I've come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me will not remain in the darkness. This is huge. These are just not not just some, some flitty little words here. He says, I have come as light into this world. This world is so dark. The hearts of people are so utterly dark. And there's no life there. He says, I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. 
This is what He's given us. This truth, what we have. I look at, the, at my friends, I look at my family, people that I grew up with, and I look at my life compared to their life. This is not because of me. I had friends that were all smarter than me. I had friends that knew how to talk to people better than I did. And I look at my life, my family, what God has done in my life versus their lives. The light and the darkness, the distinction of what He brings. There is so much good that comes with walking with the Lord. He says, I'm the light. I've come as light into the world. He who believes in me will not walk in the darkness. And I, when I meet my old friends from, from high school and from elementary school even, people that I was in elementary, junior high school and high school with, and I look at the darkness that's in their lives and just the, the things that they've gone through and the, the decisions they've made and the destruction that's come. I mean, they're walking in darkness. What we have in Jesus Christ is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing, and this comes because Jesus is the light of the world. He says, if you hear my sayings in verse 47, anyone who hears my sayings and does not keep them, I don't judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus said, look, I'm not judging him. The scripture says, who are you to judge the servant of another? Before his own master, he will stand or fall. So, it's not our place to judge, but Jesus is going to be clear on what is going to, and who, who is going to be the judge. Verse 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. What will judge us? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. What is written here? The Scriptures will be the judge. The Scriptures are, is the body of truth that allows us to see the light from the darkness. How do we know what the right thing to do is? How do we know? It's not just every person doing what's right in their own eyes. It is the Scriptures. And how can you know without not only reading it, but meditating on it so that you look at the Scriptures and you say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me from the Word of God. Speak to me. Let, let this be clear. Speak to me, Lord. Ask the Lord to speak to you through the Scriptures. Ask Him to do that. And He will speak to you. He'll speak to you through the Scriptures. And He says the Word of God is what's going to judge us even at the last day. It's what we did with this Word. He says, he says uh, uh, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father Himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that His commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as my Father has told, has told me. You know, this is, a, this is a beautiful saying to take hold of. As He says here, He says that... that uh, uh, I speak exactly what my Father told me. He says, and know His commandment is eternal life. The words that we have as believers, the message that we have is eternal life. It is better than any other message. Better than any message is this message of eternal life. And He says, what He's told me to speak, I speak. If you are ever sharing the things of God, 
May I make a suggestion to you? Stay away from politics. Just, just, it's just problems. Just stay away from politics. It never works well in sharing the gospel. If you want to talk politics with your family, you want to talk politics with your friends, that's fine. But he says, he says that, that the words that he was sharing are words of eternal life. These words, you keep on the focus of the gospel, the message of truth. As soon as you start deviating from that, you just get into all sorts of problems and then people start casting up these barriers that, that are ridiculous anyway. I mean, political parties are going to be done away with. The government of this country is going to be done away with. Speak about the things of God. This is why when I stand up here, I never want to be speaking politics. This is not the topic. It doesn't mix well with the Word of God. Jesus said, I am speaking the things that my Father told me and the things that I have are the things, the issues of eternal life. Now let's look back in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. So again, we're going to go to our template to see what's coming next. In Luke chapter 21. And, and this is uh, uh, Monday evening now. In, in Luke chapter 21. This is Monday evening. Remember, he's going to be crucified that following Friday. He, he, he's, it's, it's Monday evening now. And it says in Luke chapter 21 verse 37... Now, during the day, he was teaching the temple. But at evening, he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. And the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen. So, formerly, he was staying in Bethany. He was staying in Bethany with, uh, uh, um, at Lazarus' home and Martha and Mary. And then he would go from Bethany, which is in this valley. He'd go up the hill, past Bethpage, to the top of the hill, which is the Mount of Olives, back down into the other valley, and then back up into Jerusalem. And this is not like uh, uh, going over the Rocky Mountains. From, from Bethany to Jerusalem might be a 30-minute walk. Now, I don't know exactly because I don't know if the paths went directly down and directly up. If they did, it's quite a, it can be quite a steep climb. If you look at some of the paths now, they... They, they, they wind around, so it can be longer, but it's just not that much of an incline. I don't know what the paths were in those days, but you could probably walk that in 30 minutes. So now it says he's no longer staying in Bethany. He's going now from the, the speaking in the temple back down into the valley and back up to the top. That's the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is on the top there, and on, that, on, that, on the one slope there is the Mount of Olives. And... and um, uh, you, you can go see that today if you want to. But that's where he would spend the night. So now let's pick up the next portion. The next portion is going to be in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And we're going to start reading from verse 19. Mark chapter 11 verse 19. When evening came, they would go out of the city. And as they were passing by in the morning, okay, so, so they went out of the city in the evening, they stayed on the Mount of Olives, and now they're going back into Jerusalem in the morning. So, so this, this is where we are in this. So this is Tuesday morning. Now this Tuesday morning, Tuesday is the longest day in the Bible. 
in the New Testament. It's the longest day in the New Testament. What do I mean by that? Do I mean that it was more than 24 hours? No. I mean that there is more reported from this day. This Tuesday, there's more reported in the Gospels from this Tuesday than any other day in the Gospels. So a lot of reporting for us from, from all the different Gospels. So we're going to be on Tuesday for a long time. So a lot is happening on this day. This is a very full day for them, or at least it's reported as a full day. Maybe every day for them was this full. It's just that, that, that there was a lot of reporting on this day. Verse 20, And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered and saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. So it says they were passing by, and remember, the day before Jesus had cursed a fig tree because it wasn't bearing fruit. We discussed this. It wasn't bearing those, those little knobs on it that, that uh, uh, come before the figs because the Scriptures clearly tell us it wasn't the season for figs. But... In the pre-fig season, there still should be a fruit-bearing tree. It wasn't bearing fruit. Jesus cursed it. And now going back the next day, Peter goes, Hey, that's the tree you cursed. Look at that. It's just all shriveled up. And, and, uh, you know, they were really amazed at it. If a person could just, you know, curse a tree and the thing shrivels up. And it says, And Jesus answered them, saying, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted. This is an interesting passage. Jesus used this passage, used the fig tree example for teaching on faith. This verse has really impacted my life. I remember one morning I was praying and the Lord really spoke to me through this verse. And reading this verse, it really raised my faith. So I asked for something really big. And the Lord gave me that something really big when I asked for it. But let me tell you something. There are many times, there are other times in my life where I have really had faith. I mean, I just prayed for months and months and I just really believed that it was going to happen. I'll give you this example. So, one day, it, it was... Uh, there's a prize in the National Science Foundation called the Waterman Prize. You, you have to be 35 or younger in order to get the Waterman Prize. And the Waterman Prize is a, is, is a prize that comes in the National Science Foundation, and it, it goes around the different fields of chemistry. So, so you can get this Waterman Prize. But there's many areas within chemistry. There's organic chemistry, there's physical chemistry, there's materials chemistry, there's biochemistry. They choose a particular area, and it kind of migrates around, it goes around this cycle. Well, when I was 35, it was coming up for organic chemistry. And it was perfect timing. I was 35, it was going to be organic chemistry. It was a huge grant. It was, it was like half a million dollar grant, which is to, to a person relatively young in their careers. And it's a big honor. And I prayed like you can't believe I prayed for this. Not just for five minutes. I prayed for 
over a year for this. Over a year for the Waterman Prize. And I was praying all the time. And, and you know, people would say, you know, you just, just envision it. You just envision it. And you just capture this. I was envisioning everything. I mean, I was so sure of that I was going to get the Waterman Prize. And, and I, I lined up top people to write the letters of recommendation for this. And I was so sure about this because that, that, uh, that I didn't even work hard on some other grants knowing that I was going to get the Waterman Prize, which is a huge amount of money. Why should I work hard on other grants? Well, guess what? I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get the Waterman Prize. What's going on? Is, is the Word of God fake? I mean, what's going on? Is this just a sham? What's happening here? Well, Jesus gave a much more detailed teaching on receiving answers to prayer. And that's in... Let's look over at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. He spoke in more detail. So remember, all of this is still the words of Jesus, but He's speaking in more detail. In John chapter 15, we're going to start reading at verse 7. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Look at that. You can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's what it says. Very much like what we had just read uh, uh, in, in that, in that uh, Mark portion. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But look at what precedes that. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you. Now look in verse in the next verse. It says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Okay, so there's something here when he's giving this teaching on prayer that talks of abiding. Yeah, you can get what you ask for, but it comes with abiding in him. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. When we abide in God, we ask for things differently. You know, all of this has been a progression in my life. He says, my, he, he talks about this. He says, in um, the one verse here, in, in verse 9, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So, there is no question of the Father's love for us. Just as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, I have loved you. In the same way that God, the Father, loves Jesus, Jesus loves you. He says in the same way. So love is no longer a question. It's not a matter of love. The love is established. That is sound. He says, abide in my love. Abide means to reside in my love. What does that mean? You know, God never forces us to love Him. Never. Because if, if, if we're being forced, it's not really love. There's an abiding, so I describe it like this. It's like an umbrella. We have the choice whether to abide under this umbrella or to step out from under it. That's our choice. He's not pushing us out. That is our choice. If we step out from under the umbrella, all sorts of trash begins to happen. 
And, and uh, you, you know, it, it's the common pattern when men will come to me and they say, you know, my wife, she wants nothing to do with me. My kids want nothing to do with me. So, you know, it makes sense. What do you mean it makes sense? So it makes sense because you don't abide under God's authority. If you would abide under God's authority and keep His commandments, then your wife and your kids will come under you. This is exactly what will happen. This is what the Scriptures talk about. If that bothers your political correctness, then tear out a few pages from the Word of God. That's what it says. And so, so it, it says, if you keep my commandments, in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Because abiding is a little bit nebulous. What do you mean abide? So keep my commandments and you'll abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. These things, I've, and then he says, um, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So you see, it wasn't just inherent that Jesus was abiding in His Father's love. It was because Jesus kept the commandments of the Father that the love was, was so great. Do you see what I mean? This is exactly what He said. He didn't say, well, because I'm the Son of God, therefore the Father loves me. No. He says, he says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus could have stepped out from it, but by keeping the Father's commandments, He abode in the Father's love. How can you know the commandments without reading the Scriptures? How can you know without reading the Scriptures? And He says, these things, He closes with this, He says, these things I have spoken in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. People have taken this so out of context and say, Jesus wants us to be happy. So, I mean, look at the context of this. He said, I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Where is the fullness of joy? Abiding under God's love. You abide by keeping His commandments. Jesus shares a little bit about this in Mark, uh, about prayer, where we can really get some great things. And let me tell you what, what came out of that Waterman Award. So I know, it's a friend of mine at Stanford got that Waterman Award that year. And, you, you know, it's a great award. Five years of, of, of high funding for five years. Great award. What he did when I didn't get that award, he, would, he redirected my program into new areas that ended up being far greater than I ever would have worked on in my proposal as I had written for the Waterman Award. Do you see what I mean? If I had gotten that Waterman Award, I would have been wrapped up in this little area that was going nowhere. He took this and so he got me funding in other areas that expanded me into new horizons that I never would have been in. And so you see that it says so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full, sometimes what God gives us is better ultimately than the thing we asked for. In fact, that's most of the time. God has something even better for us than the things we asked for. And it's like, no, God, I wanted that trinket. That's, I'd paradise for you. No, I want that trinket. You know, God has something so much greater. This happens in individuals. Sometimes you're praying and... You know, it's clear that this certain individual that you want in a relationship is not the one that God has for you. And we get all sad. Oh, you know, I thought this was going to be my spouse. And, oh, you know, I'm just devastated. 
God's got something better for you, someone better for you. This is the richness of God. It says that so that His joy may be in you. God's always got His best for us. Now sometimes we just grab a hold of the second or third or tenth best and say, no, this is what I want. Not being able to see. And I liken it to buying a a, a toy for a three-year-old. You never ask a three-year-old, what would you like? Three-year-old has no idea. I know better what my kids like when they're little kids than what they know. Because I know that this toy is going to last, that they're going to... It, 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 it's something that, that they're going to use over a long period of time. This little thing is a piece of junk that you want. It's going to fall apart. As soon as you start touching it, it's going to break. So I choose for my three-year-old what I'm going to get them because I know better than they do. This is very much like us. Because imagine, here is a God who sees outside of time. He knows what the future holds. Isn't it better to get His decision on things? I mean, we are limited to just what's here. He knows the future. This is what God has for us. This is His teaching for us. And we'll continue on this teaching next time. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word. Father, I pray that if there's people here that have not yet received You in their lives, that have not opened their hearts, Father, I pray that this day would not close before they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord, forgive me and come into my life so that I could know the closeness as to what was spoken about today. Father, I pray that they would want to walk in this abode that you have for them. And Father, I pray for the believers here that they would not step out from this umbrella covering of abiding with you but there would be a desire to walk in Your commandments and so be protected. Father, have mercy on them, I pray. Lord, have mercy. And Lord, the grace of God touch the hearts, I pray. In the name of Jesus, Amen.